Good morning, everyone. Are you ready to begin? Our our precious brother James and Cindy and family are uh, uh, soccering again. I guess uh, that's much of their lifestyle these days with... Wow, that's loud, isn't it? Is that all right? Okay. If it's not too loud for you, it's not too loud for me. Uh, in any case, uh, these, uh, they're someplace in town with more tournaments and all that kind of thing. So he sends his love. And Jason Robinson was supposed to be teaching this morning, but he's come down with the flu bug and has had it for a week, and he just still can't really get up off the couch without spreading his, uh, his love to everyone around him. <laughs> so I told him, stay home. Don't spread that kind of love. We don't want it. So anyway, you got me for this morning. Is your Thanksgiving okay? It's good. Any major travels for anybody? No? I'll, uh, I ran down to Sarasota with uh, my three sons and experienced uh, Thanksgiving with my mother down in Sarasota. She's now 82 and doing absolutely terrific and lives on 30 acres and keeps it all up herself, pretty much. She's a very busy gal. So it was, it was fun to be down there. My brother and his family lived there. My sister and her kids also lived there. So we had Thanksgiving, and then I quickly drove back. And uh, Tammy stayed home because her father was brought over uh, by her brother who lives in Texas. Her father lives in Melbourne. And he had been in a four-wheel, four-wheeler accident here some months back and broke eight ribs. He's 80 years old, broke eight ribs, broke his back. And uh, so he's... Uh, He's still recuperating from all of that, and you can tell it's really taken a lot out of him, but uh, he's coming back. He's a great man of God, great preacher. Many of you know him, Jack Taylor, and uh, a great author. So he's, uh, he's really had a rough time of it, but he's doing better. And he stayed with Tammy for a number of days, which is his daughter, of course, and, and just are sending him home today, and I'll be driving to Melbourne and back again this afternoon. Let's pray together, and we'll... Uh, Let's get into the Word. Father, thank you so much for your life and hope and promise and your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you are richly involved in our lives, far deeper than we know. And uh, there's not a detail that goes by that doesn't escape your attention. And uh, so we want to look to you. We want to get your perspective on matters, perspective on our lives, on our decisions, on the obstacles and frustrations we might be experiencing, on family members on issues that seem to be insurmountable for our country and all things. We want to get your perspective, Lord, because you rule and you reign. Always have, always will. And uh, we, want to get, uh, we just want to get in on it, Lord, and walk by faith and not by sight. And how we love you and praise you. Thank you for this incredible morning together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, this morning I want to uh, just take a few minutes and, um, and kind of uh, decompress a concept. Uh, bring, bring to light a concept that uh, is thrown at those who teach on grace. One of the, the greatest obstacles out there for people getting grace is the, uh, is the idea that somehow it needs to be balanced, right? Somehow this grace teaching, it sounds too good to be true and all, but they buy into a lot of it, but some of it they can't. And so... What they can't buy into is uh, leaving their performance efforts behind. Somehow that we, we produce our own, um, uh, not justification, but sanctification. sanctification. Thank you. 
sanctification, that somehow we have to work out our sanctification. God has done his part to sanctify us, but we must do our part to make sure it sticks, I guess. I don't, I don't know quite how they explain it, to be quite honest. Um, and so the finger pointing happens when, when they hear uh, the grace message or if they hear somebody who's paying attention to that and promoting it, ah, oh, you're one of those. And uh, you're one of those that, um, that just does anything you want. Anything you want. And, and you don't care about morality. You don't care about consequences. You don't care about conduct. You just, so if you go the grace route, you just, you know, just anything, anything goes without, without any concern. You know, that's, that's their finger point. Some, I might have said a little bit more drastic than most, but that's really what they're saying. And uh, so the, the argument is that with grace teaching come, comes antinomianism. Anybody know what that is? Which, which means no law, right? There's, there's no law, no guidance, no, no sense of morality, no sense of responsibility. Uh, that with the grace teaching comes that. All right. So I'd like to kind of just talk about that, all right, this morning. Uh, because you're going to come across that, if you haven't already. You're going to come across that with uh, some people that, that hold that to be true and, and, and say, well, the reason I'm not going to go that route is because I don't want to become like that. I don't want to become lawless. Take your Bibles, Romans 3, 19 through 31. This is some of the most incredible verses. Golly, I've read this stuff a hundred times, but it's like I'm reading it brand new again. Uh, Clark and I talk about this frequently. That, um, By the way, I'm Bill Snell. For those who don't know, I'm the executive pastor here at the church. I've known Clark for 30 years. Uh, have worked with him for a while over at Calvary. But uh, Clark and I first connected when my daughter was born. Uh, who is now 30 years old, 31 years old, and, um, and he was pastoring in Roswell, New Mexico. And I was in seminary, and my father-in-law, Jack Taylor, whom I just talked to you about, was trying to hurry my daughter up to having her first child. I mean, hurry my wife up so he could have her first child, so he could run off to be with this young fella, uh, young little fella, out there in New Mexico that he was, uh, got all excited about uh, preaching for. And that happened to be Clark Witten. And soon thereafter, I graduated from seminary, and I was pastoring my own church in California. And uh, I invited Clark to come with my father-in-law, and they both became uh, a conference evangelist you know, for me out there. And that's how we got connected, he and Martha. And uh, that was way back then. That's when Campus Crusade was still located out in California. And uh, uh, part of our joy was, was connecting with Bill Bright and Vonette. Um, and uh, we were out there at Arrowhead there in California. Clark was there, my father-in-law, myself, my brother-in-law, which is Jack's son. And we're sitting and, e- and eating supper with, uh, with Bill Bright and his wife there in this incredibly gorgeous place at Lake Arrowhead. And, um, and Clark said to Bill Bright, he said, Bill, said, you remind me of my father. And Bill is... is as humble and sweet. Have you ever, do you know who I'm talking about? But right, he was the founder of Campus Crusade. So humble. You know, this man has been with kings all over the world and has had incredible influence. He's passed away now, but, you know, just a magnificent, glorious man. Loved the Lord, passionate about things. And so when Clark said that to him, he just bowed his head in, in such humility. I think that's the sweetest thing I've ever heard. And before he could get that out of his mouth, Clark said, yeah, fat, bald, and short. <laughs> <laughs> And it just broke up the entire party. We just all, to this day, he said, I did not say that. I said, oh, yes, you did. 
we laughed and laughed and laughed at that. Okay, Romans 3, 19 through 31. You got it? All right. Now we know that whatever the law says, whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are what? Under the law. Whatever the law says, it speaks to those under the law, right? So that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Once again, verse 20, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Verse 21, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifest. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the righteousness he's talking about. Righteousness has been made manifest, and who is it made manifest through? Jesus Christ, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. Anybody know what that means? Satisfying sacrifice, a purchase, a redeeming, a calling together of what had been owed. A propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, this is an important word, and I'll come back to that. For in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Now, let me talk about that just a moment. What does that mean, the forbearance of God? Well, let's look at it this way. Until the advent of Christ and his death and burial and resurrection and, and, and the offering of what he had accomplished for us as a free gift, God forbear or forbore us. In other words, he didn't just destroy us in our incredibly wicked state, fallen state. He, it's not so much that he put up with, but he looked to the fulfillment of what was yet to come and didn't just annihilate us. Yeah. I tried to think about that this morning. If, if I were a farmer and I had a crop that was dead as a stick out there, not producing anything and had no hope of producing anything, every morning I would look out upon that crop, what would the temptation be just to dig that thing up, plow it under, and do something new, right? Because you're looking at it, it's, it's just dead. It's dead. But God saw that crop, saw us, forbore, forbore that, forbeared that until the advent of the sending of his son, right? So that's a very, very neat word. In the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. In other words, he didn't just annihilate us for, for that sinful condition. Um, for the demonstration, I say, for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier, or the one who has faith in Jesus. Verse 27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, not by works, but by the law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Because who is under the law? Jews, right? Is he not... The God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised, the Jews, by faith, by faith, not by the law, 
by faith, and the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, through faith, right? Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. All right, so some very, very significant verses here. Really don't have time to go into all of that. But if we're talking about this whole concept of antinomianism, the complaint against grace teaching that, that equates to lawlessness, well, they simply do not understand the, uh, this crown jewel of the Reformation, which is justification by faith. They just don't understand it. I, I don't understand why they don't understand that, since that's, that's the pivot from Catholicism, Roman Catholicism, into Protestantism. The whole Reformation that, is, that we're a product of. Somehow they don't understand justification by faith. Now, I, so I want to get into that. I want you to understand that. So when you're talking with somebody, yeah, you, you can feel confident about where you stand concerning the grace message. All right? Uh, turn with me to Romans 5.1. Because here's where uh, there's just a couple great, great verses you all always have, ought to have in your arsenal. Uh, concerning this whole concept of justification by faith. Once again, the legal mindset has a difficult time embracing the implications of justification by faith. They, they embrace justification by faith conceptually, but the implications of it they seem not to understand. Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, not justified by works, not justified by good obedience or good efforts, not justified by that, Justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Galatians 3.10 is another great verse. For as many as are of the works of the law, they are under a curse. Works of the law equate to being under a curse. For it's written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by the things written in the book of the law to perform them. Well, so is it a good thing to come back under the law... Uh, for Gentiles to come under the law, or even for Jews to stay under the law. No. And so why would there be pride or boasting that we're under the law, we're, we're, we're people of the law, and you aren't? Uh, even, in the, even in the church, there's that, that, that uh, effort to bring the law back into, into the church so that some standard is there to keep us in the right road. It's never, that's not what it's designed to do. It never was designed to correct your behavior. It was always designed to show you how poor your behavior is. It was always designed to condemn you so that you would see that your helplessness would, would bring you to a place of repentance and, and, a, and, and open yourself up to reconciliation to a God who loves you and cared for you and had a way out of that. That's always what the law was designed to do. Not to correct your behavior, not to align yourself, or to create boundaries that you're to adjust your life. It was to condemn your sin. That's what the law was for. Are you with me? That's what it was for. That's the reason why without the law there is no, there's no recognition of sin. The law brings that recognition in because that's its design. It's harsh. It's a very, very harsh instrument. Uh, and for those who are under the law, the, the word, uh, let's see, I'm jumping ahead, but I want to do it anyway. It's Romans, Romans 7, 4, talks about that uh, equates our relationship to the law, if we're under it, to being married to it. Romans 7, 4 says, you became dead to the law through the body of Christ that you would be married to another. The emphasis being that 
when you're still under the law, you were married to it. When you come to Christ, you're no longer under the law, so now you're married to him. Does that make sense? Do you see how that, that information is? So when you're under the law, you're married to it. Now, God's design for marriage is for life, right? That's, that's what his purpose is. To be married to the law, I'm married to it for life. The only way I can come out from underneath the law is for somebody to die. The law is never going to die. It'll never pass away, right? So I've got to die. Isn't this interesting? So I died with Christ. When Christ died, I died with him. And that, that, that death becomes actuated by faith. When I come to Christ, I, 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 that old man has passed away. New things have come, right? So the old man, that, that, that old nature had to die. It can't be, it, it can't be helped or reinforced or strengthened. It has to die. I have to die in order to be released from the law and, and to come unto grace. And, and isn't it beautiful? To, all of a sudden, all these things start coming together in your thinking about, about, about this beauty, this majesty of death, burial, resurrection, and that, that happened, had to happen to me. That's the reason I had to be born again. I died. I had to be born again in order to come under grace, in order to have the life of Christ abiding in me. Right? It's neat stuff. Very neat stuff. Um, now, uh, regarding the law, though, it, it had to be fulfilled. It had to be. Otherwise, we could never uh, have any hope away from it. It had to be fulfilled. Jesus was the only one who could. Now, how did Jesus fulfill the law? Anybody know? By being perfect. Absolutely. Actually, that's the root of his being able to fulfill it. He didn't fulfill it because he was, a, he was great in obedience. He was great in obedience because he was perfect. Perfect. Obedience followed perfection. Follows perfection. The behavior follows the, the reality of who he was. He was perfect and righteous. Therefore, the law could be fulfilled. Right? Yes, exactly right. Spiritual fulfillment of the intent of the law. Jesus, in his perfection, in his righteousness, never had sinned to his account ever, fulfilled the law because he was perfect and righteous. And, uh, and when the law was fulfilled, it was fulfilled perfectly and in all detail. Nothing was left unsatisfied. If it had not been done so, we would still be under its demands. It had to be fulfilled. And uh, thank goodness he did. Uh, Romans 10.4. Before I read that, uh, the the legalist, the legalist mindset asks the question about grace and says, "Does, does grace then free the believer from the Ten Commandments, from the law? Does grace do that? And the answer is, it does do that. So in some ways, uh, it, it is true that, we're, that a part of their accusation is true. Part of their accusation is that you're, you're, you're not bound by that. Well, you're right, we're not. Thank goodness, I'm not bound by that. Now listen. Uh, Romans 10.4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The end of the law. 
It ended in Christ. All right? Ended. And, and, and for those who come to Christ. Romans eleven six. For if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. That's Romans eleven six. Galatians 2, 16. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. All right. So, in, in, in the one sense, we would, we would fall into some definition of, of antinomianism if it means that we're no longer under the law, and we aren't. We're no longer under the law. Grace has freed us from any failure of meeting the law. So, in essence, we're free. We're free from it, right? Now, does that mean that the law has no value? No. And that's what needs to be cleared up, you know, through our grace teaching and all of that. Not, not that we're not doing it, but uh, in the world out there. It doesn't invalidate the value of the law. It just, we're just no longer owned or governed or condemned by it any longer because we're not under it. But there's still value. Where is the value of the law? Well, it, it does help. It does help in, a, in a helping us to understand God's view of success does help in us understanding how to create, how to, how to live out a witness that reflects his character and his purpose. Because it does reflect who God is. For me to disregard that completely, say, well, God, none of that matters. It doesn't matter whether I cheat or hate or adulterize or, or murder. It doesn't matter because I'm under grace. Well, no, you don't get grace if that's the case. You're not, you're not under it in terms of being condemned by the law. But if you're, if you're completely disassociating yourself with anything that's Moral or righteous or good, you haven't got grace. Sorry. You're, uh, you, you got something, but you haven't got it. All right? So, uh, but I don't know anybody at Grace Church is doing that or, or has that kind of position. But those are the finger pointings that, that come to us from people who've heard some teaching on grace and say, well, okay, I, I've read your book, Clark, but I've got a problem with blah, 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 blah. Well, We've never said any of those things, and, and never will. So it takes us some time to answer those kinds of questions in a, in a diligent, uh, scriptural fashion, uh, without getting so frustrated. For goodness' sake, where in the world did you come up with that? You know. All right. Let's see what else. All right. The Bible teaches that uh, uh, that Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient, such that all of the law was fulfilled. And uh, he, he did so in two ways. He fulfilled the law really for two reasons. The first being, as I've already discussed, he, he did it for his righteousness sake. Because he was righteous, he obeyed the Father. Because he was pure and righteous and holy, he conducted himself in a way that reflected that. That's huge. That'll help us understand where moral conduct and other things come in. Right? It's because I am righteous and holy that I act the way I do. Not I, because I'm that, because then I'll do whatever I want. That's, that's the wrong perspective. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit. All right? So Jesus was perfect, holy, and righteous, and he fulfilled the law because he was. And because he loved the Father and obedience was the outcome of all that he was in nature. And the law, therefore, was fulfilled. Secondly, he did it 
because we could not. We are incapable of doing it on our own. And now why? Why, why were we not? It seems like at least we could behave ourselves well enough to uh, honor mom, mother and father and, and not steal and kill and so forth and so forth. But we find in the New Testament time that Jesus said, listen, it's not a matter of just conduct, it's a matter of the heart. Because even when you think like that, you failed. You've broken the law. Now what happens if you break the law and just, if, if all you did was break it one time? See, it's, it's not a matter of a curve, is it? If it's not 100% perfect, you failed. There's no passing grade except for perfection when it comes to fulfilling the law. And it, it makes sure and it condemns you. And it is a husbandman that is, un, that is relentless in its pursuit of telling you how bad you are. We've all experienced that. Oh, it, it is relentless. And, uh, but that's his purpose. That's what it's designed to do. So uh, in Ephesians 2, which is an incredible resource for you to help you to understand who you were before you came to faith in Christ, we were a mess, an absolute mess, dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, what about dead do we not understand? Yeah. There's, it's not, there are shows right now, you know, I don't know, why is zombies so, so popular these days? I, I just, I don't get it, but, but there's no such thing as zombies. We might look like that or act like that, but if you're dead, you're dead. And there's absolutely no way that a dead person can make himself alive, at least in terms of, uh, well, in all aspects, in terms of righteousness, what I'm trying to reflect on. We cannot perform righteous deeds when I'm unrighteous in the very core of who I am, and that's who I was. Really, through no fault of my own to begin with, but later on I added to the list just like everybody else does, right? I was born into that state, a damaged, corrupted state. I was no longer, mankind was no longer in the same state of life as Adam and Eve were before they sinned. And we could never get back to that in terms of behavior. Why? Because when sin entered, something happened inside of us. And our DNA was altered. We're not just people who made mistakes. We're called sinful. None righteous, no, not one. You're righteous as a filthy rags. So there's, at the very core of who we were, we were damaged and we could not repair ourselves. No way could we ever fulfill the law. So to boast that, that somehow I'm a great law keeper doesn't mean squat in terms of reality. Because you're guilty just like everybody else, right? So to try to insert the law back into the church, once you have given your life to Christ and his life comes into you and his righteousness and his holiness and his purity comes rushing into you and changes and alters you completely so that you're no longer the old man but the new man, a new creation in Christ Jesus where old things have passed away, all things become new, and insert the law back into that and say, all right, now, now you've got to live by this. You're a Christian, but you've got to live by this. Well, if that's true, then it means I have to become a Jew, and it means I have to have the sacrificial system still in place, and it means, thirdly, that Christ's sacrifice wasn't sufficient. The only thing that makes doctrinal sense is grace. Once you start thinking through it and its implications and applications, the only thing that makes intellectual, spiritual sense is grace. And it, it, it holds up through every form of scrutiny. 
I tell you, I am absolutely delighted to finally get this. You know, not that I get it all. Trust me, I don't. I don't. I, I'm, I'm just like a kid learning. Uh, once again, you know, Clark and I are always talking about this. We're just, we're just amazed at how the Scripture's coming alive again. And it makes far better sense now than it ever did. Now, there's some stumbling blocks you come across that I don't get. But isn't that fun to be able to, to camp out and say, Lord, I don't, I, don't, I don't understand where this leads. I don't know what that means. Help me to get it. And, and time, it seems like those dots begin to get connected better and better and better all the time. It's just absolutely a delight. But this, this, whole, uh, this whole argument against the body of Christ who's, who's teaching and, and growing under grace, uh, that it's antinomian, that it's lawless, is wrong. We're not under the law. That's correct. But we're not lawless. Right? And so, one final thing. Um, we don't need the law inserted back in to, to correct our behavior. Behavior is corrected or redirected, corrected in many ways, is, is, is corrected because of a focus on Christ. I, I see him, I become like him. I focus on the law, I become like it, and it's a... It's a it's a wicked, dark, condemning, I never passed the grade thing. Look to Christ, and I become like him. Because I am him. You know, he's, his life is abiding in me. His life living and pulsing through me. So uh, the best way to see the church step up to who she is is for her to focus on the one who brings her her identity. Right? So that's what we do. Grace constantly... Focus his attention on Christ. Look to him. What does he look like? Well, and when we're looking to him, we're looking, of course, in, our, in, our, in, our, in, in terms of revelation, in terms of imagination, sanctified imagination, whatever you might call it, but primarily he is in here. So we're looking within. The reality of his presence abiding within. And, uh, and I'll tell you, the more and more that you see him, the more that your life reflects him. That's the way he's designed it to be. Either the tree of life, and life pulses and flows through you. And you don't have to worry about preaching and teaching and preaching and teaching and preaching and teaching about how to conduct yourself right. There, there is a place and time for some of that, uh, no, no doubt. But that's not going to be the primary of Grace Church, and never will be. We're going to focus attention on Christ and Him crucified and watch. And look at yourselves. Has it made a difference? And it continues to do that brings life, brings passion, brings freedom, brings joy. The fruit of the Spirit becomes a byproduct of knowing who you are and what Christ has accomplished in you. Not trying to generate that on your own behavior because it never happens. But looking to Him, right? It just The news just continues to get better and better and better. All right? That's the point of the message. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we love you. Thank you so much for... Um, what you're teaching us. Holy Spirit, we love you and receive you and welcome you here. Uh, Not only in our lives, but in the way that we influence lives around us. I pray for greater favor, greater strength, greater promises in terms of our understanding of it all, greater greater ability to to walk into the things of God that you have prepared for us and uh, show us, Lord, how to be more effective. In our, in our lifestyle, more effective in the way that we relate to one another, more effective in just living out joy, for goodness sake. How we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Thank you.